Well, hey, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining me on another night of Table Talk here with Ryan Peterson, a dear brother in the Lord. I am so grateful that you have joined us yet again, back by popular demand. <laughs> thank you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm glad there's demand, and I'm so excited to be back on with you. Great to see you again. It's nothing but the truth. I'm telling you, I started getting so much feedback after our first uh, table talk. And I'm yes. telling you, um, man, we sparked something, you know, All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> these are, I know that these are topics you're always uh, used to discussing with other podcasts and other people, but, um, but, you know, I think every podcast and every program is different and, uh, Something is always brought to the table where maybe something wasn't mentioned before and it just, you know, goes together with the talk. It just, it's just cool how the Holy Spirit works that way, right? Amen. And you're right. And it, it is the Spirit, right? It's like reading the Bible, right? You can read the same chapter five times yes. and get five different messages out of it from the Spirit of God. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah. great. I love that. I do too. I love that about the word. I love that uh, how the Lord just does that. But anyway, welcome, welcome back. I so appreciate your time. Um, if for those of you that may not know, uh, Ryan Peterson is the author of The Judgment of the Nephilim and The Final Nephilim. And uh, we are super excited to have him on the program. I know that you're on a bunch of shows. And in particular, you have been on um, some of my favorite shows. Skywatch TV, of course, is my one of my top shows that I love to watch. Olive Tree Ministries with Jan Markell. You've been on that, which is really nice. cool. <laughs> with uh, Prophecy Watchers, Blurry Creatures. That's um, right. Yeah, Josh Monday and so many other uh, programs that you've been on. So um uh, thank you for taking the time to sit with me here on Table Talk as well. You Absolutely. also have Thursday Night Theology as well, and you go deep. Yeah, so Thursday Night Theology, uh, my YouTube show, on my YouTube channel, um, I really just get questions, you know, because it was really was born from subscribers from people who follow me on social media i got a lot of questions and i mean it's an enormous amount of questions from people um yeah throughout the week and so i just thought you know rather than i know i can't get to all of them let me just do a show that's kind of dedicated to yeah. answering questions and so i just take two or three questions i get from readers and subscribers and followers and just, you know, use my research and answer them live and then do some live Q&A. And we get into, I mean, we've had some amazing, amazing topics about this, you know, about the angelic realm. It goes way beyond just the Nephilim to questions about, uh, you know, the, the the veil between the spiritual realm and, and the human realm. We talked, about, we talked about that in the context of CERN. We talked about... Yeah. Um, Boy, why did the devil want the body of Moses? I mean, you name, I mean, you name. We've we've had some amazing, amazing topics, and so uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a blessing. And um, I've been on break because I've been working on some new projects, but uh, I'm looking forward to bringing it back uh, this week, Lord willing. Yeah, you know, I I love listening to your show, and I love listening to other um, ministries and other individuals. Like Derek Gilbert's one of them, of course. Heli Marzuli, which you've been so kind to connect me with and they're going to be coming on table talk soon but 
Um, you know, I remember a lot of the material from uh, Dr. Michael Heiser as well. And uh, when when you bring things like that to the surface of the Bible, that you know, one of the th- we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But um, when you really dig deep in Scripture and you see those treasures and those nuggets that God has. It is so revelatory and so beautiful. I remember um, listening to a uh, message that uh, Dr. Michael Heiser was giving one time, and it had to do with, you said Moses a minute ago, and it had to do with Moses, and that it, it's just this little tiny, uh, these little tiny verses where his wife, Zeborah, um, uh, circumcises their son, and, uh, sure. and, and, you know, something that takes place there, uh, I won't go into details cause I don't want to get into like a whole Bible study here, but uh, it yeah. just blew my socks off because you would have never figured that out in scripture unless you really dug out some of the words, so, right? Yeah. Oh, de- definitely. Yeah. Thou art a bloody husband unto me. Right. So, right. Yeah, no, I know it's, a, it's very, and I, but I love that stuff. Right. I yeah. love passages that are mysterious, confusing, <laughs> because it's almost like God is really challenging challenging us, right? I mean, right. and that's that's and the thing, everything you're saying about the importance of studying the word, discussing right. the word, is it's about relationship. Yeah. Right. It's all about God wants us to know him, right? Yeah. When he says call him Abba, Father, right? It's like that's a term of endearment. Like we're yeah. close to him. And yeah. nothing brings us closer. Then when we really take our time, get into the word, and then God shows and says, see, didn't yeah. I surprise you? Didn't Man. I just blow your socks off with this revelation? And it's such a rewarding feeling because not only are we growing in knowledge, we're growing in knowledge of him, which brings us closer. And so, you know, I thank God for ministries like yours and Pastor Ricky's that you are willing to yeah. go into the supernatural, to go into these passages and to really challenge our understanding our beliefs and 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 bring your followers your congregation to grow i mean it's so 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 important right i always like compare bible study to the gym that it should be challenging you that if you're studying the bible and it's not challenging your thinking and pushing you to be like to say wait a second maybe i should go back and look at that passage about moses again then you're not working out hard enough you're not doing enough reps Oh, and man, so you're, the Bible should always be challenging. Why? Because it's endless. Not it's way more knowledge than we can ever have in this side of eternity yeah. in the Bible. So if it's not challenging you, then we have to work hard. And so, you know, for you to step out and say, you know, you know, and be willing to talk about these things, is just amazing. So I uh, praise God for that, for you and for Pastor Ricky, yeah. your willingness to go to these parts of the Bible that aren't commonly discussed. So I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, and, yeah. and and that's why I like doing table talks like this, because, you know, you have obviously a certain amount of time when you're given, you know, in a in a church service and, you know, obviously you uh, give a message and, and things like that. But in, in a in a in a setting like this one, um, I think we can 
you know, dig a little deeper, you know, and, and of course this goes out to all, all our church, you know, my church family, obviously our congregation and, and whatnot, but, you know, I interject what I need to during messages on a given Sunday, you know, depending on the series and, and whatnot, this, what, what you just said, uh, rings loud and clear because this, um, past weekend I was invited to speak at a church here in where, where we live and um, back to back, two back to back services. First time, wow. first time ever, they have a woman preach. Actually, wow. um, yeah, which which was pretty cool. And uh, and I said the same thing. You know, is it, you've got to carve out time to spend with God. You got to carve out time to spend in God's Word because if you don't do that, and and ask the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings revelation of God's Word. Yeah. And and if you don't make it a point of carving time out for God, then, then what are you doing? Then, then where, where, where are you, where are you really receiving revelations from God? And then, and then if you don't, if you don't know the heart of the father, because that's exactly what happens when you begin to study God's word and you begin to spend time in his word, you begin to know the heart of the father. And so once you begin to develop this relationship with God, you know, any, anything else outside of what God stands for, you know, the values of the Bible, anything outside of that, you can recognize it for what it is. You won't be deceived. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It gives you discernment, right. Which can only come from getting closer. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get to some questions. Are you All right? Let's do it. <laughs> let's go. We got into some deep stuff last time. Yes. Um, I know that we touched on quite a few things. Um, wanted to know what you were kind of up to. I know that you did a prophecy watchers. You were attend um one of the guests, I should say, in a prophecy watchers conference um a couple of months yeah. ago last month in orlando right. in florida, florida. Was, my, my yeah. first uh event in florida that i was invited to speak at and it was the orlando prophecy summit hosted right. by prophecy watchers and it it was phenomenal yeah uh, it was one of the biggest conferences i've went to so it was over really? 900 people attended wow. and the energy was just amazing they had about i want to say about 16 17 different speakers there and I just had, I had a phenomenal time. So I got to speak twice and it was also uh, the first uh, conference I went to that my entire family got to attend. So my right. kids were there and we had a great time. And um, yeah, it, it was just really amazing. We talk about the spirit, having that, that many, that large amount of believers together, there was so much excitement and uh, I just, I really, I, I loved it. Loved it. So good. Do you have any others coming up? Any conferences so i am working on i'm looking at my calendar right now that my wonderful life keeps coming <laughs> <laughs> so um so there's some conferences that i'm still scheduling so yeah. i will we'll see on that so we're working on a, on a conference uh in seattle Ooh. um that we're there yeah so i'm, I'm excited about that because another, another another area i've never been to to share god's word so right and it's still in the works. We were thinking initially about September, but you know, my schedule is getting pretty busy. So right. that's that's um in the works. And then October will be the next Prophecy Watchers conference right. in uh Oklahoma. So that'll be in Norman, Oklahoma, October 5th to the 8th. 
And then I will be at the Skywatch virtual conference, which will start in about a week and a half or two yes. weeks. So I'll be one of the speakers for that. And of course, oh, it's good. all virtual. Right. And uh, I'm wrapping up my production of my my presentation for that. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. So, yeah, so that, that's what's uh, coming up next conference wise. Good, good. Um, to get a little bit off topic, because I remembered I wanted to ask you this when you were talking about um, studying God's word a moment ago. I was reminded you you did a study on is it judgment of the Nephilim or the final Nephilim? A, oh, a both. Study. Both. both. Yeah, right? yeah, both. Yeah. So there are study guides for both right. books. So yeah. So uh um, okay. and that again, when you talk about the conferences, that was really that idea was completely right. born at Prophecy Watchers Conference, where people who had read my book awesome. the first time the first year I was there came back and said, because of the amount of content. In the book, you know, there's a lot of research I put into it. There's a lot, yeah. you know, I write long books. I don't write short books. <laughs> and so um, they said, hey, you know, we love the book. There you go. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, uh, I love the book, but, you know, we're trying to do a home study with some friends or pastors said, you know, we're doing it at our church. Can you make a study guide? And so, so many people said it to me at that conference. Uh, I said, you know, this is something I have to do. Yeah. And, um, that's really how the idea was born. So yeah, so they're companion study guides that go with both books and they're meant to be read side by side as you read the book, the qu questions correspond with them. And I wrote all the questions and they're, um, it's really just to get deeper into the word. And also there's even sections in them for devotions, for prayers, for your own notes and things like that. And again, it's just um, all about getting closer to God and getting right. a better understanding of his word. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to have to get those study guides. Got the books. <laughs> get the study guides. Get That's a little right. deeper in there. <laughs> That's right. But have you noticed how lately, at least I've noticed, lately the topic of the Nephilim has been on the rise lately? I don't know about you, but almost everywhere I turn, podcast wise, maybe it's some of the people I follow, I guess, or something, but it's almost as if everywhere you hear something about giants, something about the Nephilim, the UFO phenomenon. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think that subject is so prominent these days? Well, you know, we're living in exciting times and it's really two things, right? God is revealing more to us, right? It always goes back to Daniel 12 and he tells Daniel, and I love that chapter because Daniel receives his amazing end times prophecies, right? Daniel 12 is almost a mirror of Revelation chapter 12, but they both start off with the Archangel Michael. I believe it's actually describing the exact same events. Mm. of when satan is cast from heaven and his angels and then of course it gets to the end and daniel says he doesn't understand he says you know he's writing these things down and he doesn't understand he says, you know when will these things happen i don't understand and the angel says you know that knowledge will increase to so seal up the book seal to the time of the end and so but knowledge will increase and i think we're living in that era that god is increasing the revelation of his word so we have Things like Genesis 6 and the Nephilim that people are not just are starting to not just understand, but to really um, believe that it, this was a part of biblical history. And so it's just spreading. So I'm just grateful that we are experiencing that 
that God is really increasing revelation that more and more people, I mean, I see it just from the simple fact of even my book, which came out in 2018 when I was working on it, right? It took me about three years to write my first book. And when I was first researching, I had to explain to every Christian I knew, the first question was, well, what is the Nephilim? What is that? And these are Christians. Wow. No, I never, never even heard the term before. And so, whereas now it's a lot more common that I meet people and say, oh yeah, my book is called Judgment of the Nephilim. They go, oh, you wrote about that Nephilim, the giant stuff. And so they're starting to get it. So, um, so it's, it, it's a great thing. And then on the other side, you have the convergence, right? Where as, as we get closer to the end times, of the great tribulation, you're going to see that the world events are starting to converge at Bible prophecy. And so you see a bigger interest in the supernatural and the paranormal in the world, whether it's the UFO phenomena and more disclosure by governments, more sightings, what actually happened in Canada with the with the balloons that were shot down, right? Now that it just came out this week, they said, no, that wasn't a balloon. So it's like, you know, so we're seeing more and more governments giving a declassifying documents. All these things are preparation, right? The world has to be prepared. Yeah. And, you know, it's really two sides of it, right? God is using his children to prepare for the return of his Messiah, but also the devil is using his children to prepare for the anti-Messiah for the Antichrist. And so it's no surprise that all this is really converging to where it's ultimately going to clash and be fulfilled in the Great Tribulation. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I think that I think that Christians are kind of waking up to this topic. And, and I think it's important um to do so just so that you can understand, people can understand why the world is in the mess that it's in. Where, I mean, where do demons come from? Exactly. I mean, Satan, Satan is non, not omniscient, omnipresent, right. like God is. So we always talk about the devil like he's everywhere. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, definitely, yeah. Same way as he could, be, he, he's, he can't be in two places at the same time. So how do you, how do you reconcile that to someone that might not understand what happened in Genesis 6, Right. So exactly. I think that I think it's important for an, a believer to understand why why is why do you think it's important for a follower of Christ to understand Genesis 6 understand who were these giants called the Nephilim you know and and where they came from why is why is that important I mean because truth be told you've got a camp over here in the Christian world, that's like, I don't care. <laughs> What's the big yeah. deal? I yeah. just, I just, I just want you to preach at, at me at, about the gospel and about the love of Christ and why Jesus came, which is all great, all good. You know, we need to understand those things as well. But why would a believer need to understand or know who the Nephilim were and where they came from? Well, Genesis 6 goes to the heart of the entire story of the Bible, right? The story of our redemption, of God's plan of redemption through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And how was that going to be done, right? Well, we, we see it in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, verse 15, when God tells Satan that the seed of the woman is going to crush his head, is going to defeat him. 
that is what sets the course of history for the next 6,000 years in Scripture. It's all biblical history is based on that prophecy. And we'll be seeing that the Nephilim, and this is, you know, we talked about Michael, you mentioned Michael Heiser and these small parts of Scripture. Well, we talk, we know Genesis 6-4 where it mentions the giants, Ha Nephilim, in the earth in those days. But go back to verse 1 in Genesis 6, and this is when men began to multiply upon the earth and daughters are born unto them. And that's so important because this was the devil saying, okay, humanity, God's telling humanity, be fruitful, multiply, which was increasing the potential messiahs who could have been born. One of these people, someone born, a human being was going to be this messiah that God told the devil was going to defeat him. And so how could he stop this once the human population was proliferating? by trying to corrupt human genetics. And this is why Genesis 6 happened, why this was so important for these fallen angels from the devil's perspective to enter into the human realm, father the Nephilim hybrid giants, and try to basically prevent our redemption, prevent our salvation by corrupting us so that we were something other than image bearers of God, right? That's why humanity is such a unique creation. We're different than the angels. They have more power than we do, of course, and they're way older and smarter than we are. Mm. However, we were the creatures, the creation made in God's image. And that is what the devil wants to destroy and corrupt. And that's what he almost did in Genesis 6. So it really, and this weaves all through the Old Testament, of course, this is really what the judgment of the Nephilim is about. So the, so it's one, It's it goes to the heart of the redemptive story of the Bible. The second reason is that it bolsters our witness, is that if you want to witness the Bible, the gospel to people, if you want to explain, and you know, it's so funny too, I'm so glad you, you know, I was on, I did a Bible study recently on, on a podcast and I was invited to, to participate in, this, in an online study they were doing. Mm -hmm. And we're going through Acts chapter 10, and, and it's so, you know, the account of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, where Peter sees the scrolls, is kill and eat from God, and God sends him to Cornelius' house, and of course, he's a Roman, and Peter's, I don't want to go in his house, it's all this, it's really a lot of racism, right, is what he's really, God is really working the racism out of Peter, right, he's right. saying, don't call that which is, don't call something unclean that I've made clean, right, yeah, yeah. really talking about a human being, right, and so, but the amazing thing that passes is that I love that chapter because you see a full gospel presentation, right? He witnesses to the Cornelius' entire house. And if you look at what Peter says, he's telling the story of the Bible. He's a lot of times you see where the way we teach telling the gospel today, it's, it's almost like a mind game. It's like, well, are you a sinner? Have you done this wrong? You And I'm trying to prove to you that you are a sinner and you need to receive, therefore believe in Jesus because I've I've demonstrated that by your admission you're a sinner, which is fine if people want to do that. But when you look at the way Peter witnessed to Cornelius, he's like basically like, let me tell you about God and let me tell you all about Jesus. He was the one who David prophesied of. He was the one who was crucified, who rose. It's and that's how to me. If I want to get someone excited, that's what I want to tell them. Let me tell you about him and what he's done for you yeah. and what he's done for us. And so it and and so Genesis 6 helps with that because when people challenge the Bible and say, Well, let me this God you're saying is so wonderful. Why did he flood the world? Yeah. You say he's so loving. Why did he order kill the men, women, and children in the land of Canaan and, and you know and order genocide? How could he be loving? And I honestly, 
I do not believe you can answer that question adequately without understanding Genesis 6. I've heard the explanations. I've sat in churches where pastors have tried to explain it from the pulpit. Pastors I have great respect for. And I'm so it's like, no, those, it, it, those explanations make no sense. They no. make at the end of the day, they're still making God seem irrational, irrational, angry, the old quote unquote old testament God. Yeah. Yeah. But no. When you understand Genesis 6 and realize that what God was doing was rescuing humanity, yeah. that the reason why Noah had to be saved is because he was going to reboot the human race because we were so close to corruption. Three times God says, all flesh has become corrupt before me, that we were literally being genetically exterminated. There was no pure humans left. And Noah was perfect in his generation tamim in hebrew he was purely human and therefore he could restart humanity and a believer in god of course and he was chosen so it was a rescue god was rescuing us out of the flood and similarly in the land of canaan god was exterminating the last of the nephilim dna in the promised land and it's just amazing right you look at this you know of course la who you're going to have on your show soon calls you know the cosmic chess match right that yeah. God and the devil are going back and forth trying to, you know, either achieve, God wants to achieve his prophecy of the Messiah. The devil's trying to stop the prophecy of the Messiah. And so when you get to after the flood and the Nephilim return, where, where does the devil put them? Right in God's land, in Israel, right? The land yes. of Canaan. And that's no coincidence because he's saying, I'm going to put my, my, my strongest army to stop God's plan where I know his people have to come. Yeah. And so God has to counteract that by wiping them out. And, and so when you understand it from that perspective, that these beings in the land of Canaan weren't just human beings who God says, yeah, just go kill some human children because I'm upset with them. No, that they had this DNA. They were the last remnants of the Nephilim um, in this land that God was trying again to rescue humanity and again, I don't know how you can really explain these passages without really understanding Genesis 6 and who the Nephilim were and what this was all about. That's the foundation. That's the foundation exactly. right there. You have the prophecy that God gave in Genesis 3, and then you have what happened in Genesis 6. Yeah, imagine, though, as you were talking, I try to I try to picture these things. My goodness, only Noah and his family had the purest DNA. They they weren't defiled. Exactly. And, and you think about how the world must have been, because it wasn't just so you have the genetic corruption, but with that comes the spiritual corruption, right? Again, when you look, you know, there's there are some statements in the Bible to me that are just really daggering. And when you look in Genesis 6 and it says, all the thoughts of men were evil continually yeah, that right. all people thought about 24 hours a day was evil, stealing, robbing, killing, attacking people, hurting. I mean, that is, that is quite a statement. So people were being genetically corrupted and spiritually corrupted that they, everyone was turning absolutely evil. And so Noah was living in quite a crazy world wow. before the flood, right? Yeah. And, which leads again to, the, you know, another reason why it's so important because Jesus, of course, in Matthew 24, points back to this era 
and says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus said, if you want to know what the world is going to be like before I return, put my two feet on the Mount of Olives, go back to Genesis 6. So it's not so it's history, but it's prophecy at the same time. It sure is. So, so for Christians who don't know, you need to know it. You yeah. need to know Genesis 6. And certainly pastors need to preach it. And if they're not, learn it on your own, study it on your own. Because Jesus, sure. our Lord, told us to look to those days, to That's understand right. the end times. That's right. And and for those that are listening, um, to get into a deep dive, I highly recommend first get Judgment of the Nephilim uh, by Ryan Peterson, and then get the final Nephilim also by Ryan Peterson. Obviously, it they talk about deep dives. Those are deep dives, definitely. Um, ever since I started studying the Bible with the lens of the supernatural, <laughs> you know, and getting a better understanding of the an angelic rebellions that scripture describes. As a matter of fact, um, again, going back to the late, uh, the late and great, I should say, Michael yes. Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser. Okay. Um, he talked about three rebellions in particular. He spoke about rebellion in uh, Genesis 6. He spoke, well, no, I should say the fall, obviously. Um, Genesis 6 and uh, Genesis 11 with uh, Babylon with um, right. all that. So he kind of explains right. all that. But, you know, I, I've, I've found God's word to be so much more interesting not to mention enlightening, obviously, like we've been talking about, because we're I'm I'm seeing the Bible in a completely different lens, like we've been discussing, as opposed to what you would normally see the Bible as. With unbelievers, I think with unbelievers being so enamored, like I said a minute ago, with the spirit realm and the supernatural and and and, and whatnot, wouldn't it be wise for us to take that baton, if you will, and teach them that what they're looking for is who they're looking for is our God. I, I read a, um, I read an article the other day, it even came out on Fox News, which was kind of interesting, but it was about these girls that went into the hospital right after playing a Ouija board. Did you hear about that? I sure did. You know, and uh, and listen, I can I can tell you, I don't know if we talked about this before or not, but I, I can tell you firsthand when I was about 13 years old, I played with a Ouija board unbeknownst to me, you know what it was all about. I was very skeptical about it, but some real interesting stuff happened to me while I was playing that as a fun and games with some of my friends, uh, you know, I had a sleepover sure, yeah. with some of my friends. Yeah. One of these days we'll have to talk a little bit about that <laughs> episode in my life. But yeah. I think that people are just looking for something. They're searching all in all the wrong places. They're looking at all these, you know, supernatural things. They're looking into UFOs. I mean, isn't there a religion, <laughs> a UFO religion or something? Oh, definitely. To yeah. that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think like you're saying, I think that, I think it's important for pastors. I think it's important for ministries. I think it's important for lay people. I think it's really important for not only to understand it, but also to teach it so that, you know, those that are looking for all of these things in 
all of these different places will understand, hey, you know, that void that you're looking, that thing you're looking for is found in God's word. You're looking for God. You just don't know it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And you think about it, right? It's, 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 it's biblical, right? Acts 17, right? The, Paul's saying, the, you know, the unknown God, you know, they have the altar to the unknown. He said, I'm going to yeah. tell you about the unknown God. So we see this blueprint in yeah. scripture, right? He didn't say, oh, I can't comment on that because that's outside of my religion. He said, no, I'm going to tell you who the unknown God really is. So he's so again, so we have to be willing to engage, um, with people who believe well, other religions, right? That's our job. And certainly, and, and, and even inside of religion, if it's just an interest or a passion or a curiosity about the paranormal, we have to let them know that we have all the answers that we can explain. Yes, we have, a, we have an answer for UFOs. We have an answer for Bigfoot. We have an answer for all of these creatures that we hear about Chupacabra or, uh, um, uh, the the um uh, oh the greys right the venusians mm. all these different alien mm. beings and and creatures that you hear about in the in the world of the paranormal that there is a real explanation and it's a spiritual one it's a supernatural yes. one it's outside of the human realm but the bible has it and what i'm working on right now is a a documentary really about this because what isn't really known in the church in addition to not knowing genesis 6 what other what many Christians don't realize is right now there are, I mean, hundreds of books, of TV shows, movies oh. that deal with Genesis 6, but they're coming from the world and they're taking the biblical account and twisting them. When I was in Orlando at the Prophet Summit, I showed kind of a preview of what I was working on. Sorry. And, you know, the jaws were dropping on the floor because I was showing some of these books, you know, and they, and they know what they're talking about in, in one of the books that I, you know, that I'm researching for this, for this documentary. And this is, again, this is a young adult novel. This is a young adult fiction novel. This is not a Christian book, but it opens up on the first page with second Peter chapter two, talking about the angels that were disobedient and locked in chains in the days of Noah, while the ark was away. And that's how it opens. Wow. And these books are about young men and young women. Usually a lot of them are focused on females who are turning 16 or 17 and suddenly develop supernatural abilities. Then some, some being tells them that they are a Nephilim. And in many of these stories, they're, they're the heroes. The Nephilim are the heroes. They're redeeming fallen angels. Some of them, in some of these, they're the Messiah. And even some of the names, there's one of them that's called Daughter of Perdition, right? Was the Antichrist, the Son of Perdition. Wow. Unchained Nephilim rising, right? With the angels, of course, who father Nephilim says they're in chains under darkness. So this is these authors and these movie producers, they know what they're doing. They're going to the Bible. They're going to the Bible and bringing these concepts out, but they're twisting it completely. I even showed a clip from a, a TV show uh, where it's about a group of teenagers who discover that their parents belong to a cult. And in this cult, they have these meetings, they wear these red cloaks, they meet in this hidden basement in one of the family's homes, and they sacrifice teenagers. They do human sacrifices. And the whole purpose is uh, they're trying to revive their God, who is now dead. And they, and they want to, they're trying to bring him back to life through sacrifice. And again, if you think about the idea of the Antichrist, the beast who comes, ascends from the abyss, right? That's what we hear. 
in Revelation 11, Revelation 17, where he's coming out of hell to come rule. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. And then on the show, the name of the cult is the Order of the Gibberim. Oh, my right? goodness. <laughs> Same term in Genesis 6, 4 says the Nephilim were mighty men, Gibborim, men of renown. Right. So, wow. again, so this is this is really bombarding yeah. our our teens, our youth, our young adults, our kids, our grandkids. And so I'm trying to really sound the alarm in the church that, yeah. if you know, I, I had a woman say to me after I spoke in Orlando, she said, hey, you know, I just don't know. Uh, I don't feel comfortable. You know, I don't want my my grandchild to think I'm strange if I start talking about the Nephilim. because They're not going to know anything about it. And I said, I told her, I said, your grandkid knows way more about Genesis 6 than you do. Trust me. And I said, trust me, because there are, like I say, there are so there's so much content out there right now talking about Nephilim video games. I mean, I even I'm even talking about there are even video games that the main character is a Nephilim. I mean, it's crazy what's happening out there. And so we have to wake up, as you said before, we have to wake up because not only is it going to for all the reasons we mentioned before, because the but also because the enemy, remember, it's all a preparation. God is planting his yeah. seeds. The devil is planting his seeds. Remember the tear, the wheat and the tares, where they said, should we take out the tares? And Jesus says, no, let them grow together. So the enemy is going to be infiltrating, right? And so we have to be on guard and rescue our children from this deception that's taking place. Well, I cannot wait for that documentary to come out. How much longer do you have to go? <laughs> I'm looking forward to that already. It's coming. Lord willing, a few more weeks. Uh, I'm working on it now, and trust me, and I have lots of it. It's going to really, it's going to be very shocking for a lot of people when they see what's out there because i'm quoting these books i'm reading whole paragraphs so you can hear it and see this and again understand that this is really targeted at 12 year olds 13 15 16 and it's it's really shocking 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 um stuff yeah they're glorifying um these deities is what's happening they're they're and they're they're making it appear as though um you know it's benign <clears throat> that it's not anything yeah. you know really to be so much afraid of you know just it, it's kind of like this numbing you know those sci the sci i always i talked about the psyop one once in a message on a wednesday night yeah. it's a psyop yeah. isn't it? it it's a big time psyop and, and and it's not just numbing them it's making it exciting yes but that's the other thing too in these books it's yes. exciting that they're that they, that the the, the star of the show is developing these powers right. and they oftentimes will fall in love with a fallen angel over wow. and over again. It's a fallen angel they're in love with. And, the, and there's a strong attraction. They're beautiful. And, and so it's making this idea of a fallen angel being in love and exciting to, wow. to the, to, to our children, right? There's even one story where it's about um, women who are waiting um, to, to marry the devil. Wow. And so again, when you talk about the final Nephilim and the Antichrist, again, this is what's all going back to the idea of Satan having a seed. So all yeah. these ideas are being planted to not just make it normal, but to say this is could be something great and good and fun. And don't you want to be a part of this, right? And so it's it, it's a, it's a real deception taking place. So sure we have to we have we have to be prepared because they're because yeah. the enemy is coming for our children. 
And that's one of the first things that Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, see to it that no one deceives you. Amen. And, you know, Amen. Uh, hello. Hey, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yes. yes. Um, in your first book, Ryan, um, uh, Judgment of the Nephilim, you go through how the Bible describes Satan rebelling before um, humanity's creation. And um, you give a couple of scripture verses, uh, in particular, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel uh, 28. And you mention, now I think I'm quoting you here, how Satan was the priest in the Garden of Eden, administering worship to God before Adam. And when he rebelled against God, he was removed from his position and replaced. The garden he once presided over was given to Adam. So can you unpack that just a little bit for us? Sure, absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, you led with, a, with my, of course, the, this is my writing, but, you know, I know it's controversial to some people, but I absolutely believe the scripture teaches that the devil became evil, rebelled, fell into sin before Adam and Eve. And there are a couple of reasons. One is that you can just see in Genesis 3, right? I mean, when we get to the Garden of Eden, the devil's already evil, right? If we were watching a movie, we know, okay, clearly this guy became a villain at some earlier point because he shows up as the villain. So obviously he had fallen before he has this encounter with Eve in the garden and the fruit. So um, so that's one thing. But then when you mentioned Ezekiel 28, I think that passage is so important. Again, we talk about understanding the Bible. It's so critical. And it's what I call, you know, an esoteric passage where, it's addressed to the king of Tyre and the prince of Tyre, but I really th believe it's speaking to an angelic being, namely the devil. And then that passage is really talking about Satan in his righteous state, the way he was created to serve God before he sinned. And it starts off immediately by saying that, you know, he's, he's sealless up the psalm. He's full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. So again, we're not talking about a mortal pagan king in Tyre. We're talking about an angel. And then when it, as you continue in Ezekiel 28, it says, and this is what really clinches it. It says, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. And it's so important because now we know we're not talking about a human being. We're talking about the devil going way back in history before Adam and Eve were in the garden. And it's amazing that passage continues and says, every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, the carbuncle, and it lists these nine stones. And, and, it's, and what's even, even more interesting is that that's Ezekiel 28. When you go to Exodus chapter 28, coincidentally, right. that's where you see the description of the breastplate that Aaron, the first high priest, that he had to wear to go into the tabernacle before God's presence. And it's the same stone. So the devil, Satan, was wearing that same breastplate at an earlier time than Aaron. And so, again, so this is how, you know, you see that the devil was, I believe, clearly in a priestly role. And it says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth in the King James Version. But I actually think the Septuagint the oldest version of the Old Testament really right. got it right. It says, thou was with the cherub. That was among the stones of God. It talks about also as well, which I believe we see what those are. I believe those stones of God are the coals you see in Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah is taken up to heaven and says, and God says, who will go before us? And says, 
me, God, send me, right? right? And so, you know, when Isaiah sees, stands before God's throne, I believe he's seeing Jesus on his throne. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've seen the Lord of glory because he sees God. He realizes I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I don't even belong here. Right. And then it's interesting that, that there's that the cherub takes a coal and puts it on his mouth to forgive him, to cleanse him of his sin. I believe those are the stones of fire, right? Coal fit on fire before the throne of God. So I think we go back to Ezekiel 28. It shows that Satan was operating right at the throne of God in the garden, which I call the first temple, right? It's where mm -hmm. God makes his presence manifest yeah. on earth. And so this was his role, that he was that close and that high ranking. And of course, it says that, it says, then it says that was perfect in every way until iniquity was found in thee. So we're getting this, we're getting this insight, this peek into the history of Satan, that he was good and righteous and beautiful and, and, close to God, physically close to the Lord. But then of course he sinned, right? Pride took him over and we, and that's where Isaiah 14 comes in where you see it lists his aspirations that he will sit upon the mount of the congregation, right? He wants to rule over heaven and earth. I will be like the most high. Like he wants to take Yahweh's place. And so that's of course, when he was cast out, he was, you know, you know, left, he was, you know, left his habitation, like basically like the Genesis six angels, he was, he left his position and was cast out and became the devil that we know throughout the rest of the Bible. So you mean to tell me that he wasn't a snake? <laughs> no, 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 he was not a snake. He was definitely, he was no. definitely not. He was, he was not a snake. Um, you know, we were always taught that he, that it was a snake and he had, yeah. he, he was upright. And he was walking, and so he spoke. And I mean, that's what that's what I had always been taught. Yes, right? that's what you've been taught. But you know, no, I, I definitely go with uh, Doctor Heiser the Nakath that he was this okay. he was a shining, you know, um, brilliant from a light standpoint being, and um, and of course he can take different forms as angels can do. He can take different forms, but no, he's way more powerful than just a snake. Yeah. Um, sliding around on the ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, this rebellion then led to Genesis 6, the Genesis 6 account. And in judgment of the Nephilim, I know I'm referring a couple of times to your first book here uh, tonight, but you mentioned that Nephilim brought humanity to the brink of genetic and spiritual destruction. So how exactly did this happen and what happened after the flood? How exactly, how exactly, how exactly did all of that take place? Yeah. So, you know, there's an interesting aspect of sin um, that's both, um, it, it always in, leads back to a, a, like a de degradation of body and spirit, right? And so there's a, you know, God makes this very interesting declaration in Genesis 6 where he says, about humanity says that he also is flesh and which is a very strange statement this is that god repented it's that god regretted that he even made humanity because he also is flesh so also means that someone else was flesh beforehand right and it was the fallen angels i believe that when they committed this sin of fornication that their bodies degraded that they defiled themselves and even in the new testament we're told that fornication is the only sin that's a sin against your body 
there's something that takes place spiritually and physically um, in that sin of fornication. And you apply that and then you and then also it's there's a genetic component to it as well. And it's that it's the inheritance of what I call this, you know, in the scriptures, this concept of begetting. And again, I, I'm a King James user, but so I know it's not in every Bible, but it says, you know, we see that Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob. Right. And that term is really important because it doesn't just mean that fathered somebody, Abraham fathered this person, Isaac fathered this person. I believe it's referring to the spiritual inheritance that all children receive from their fathers. And this is something I believe we're taught explicitly in scripture. We just don't think about it that way, mm -hmm. but we're told in the new Testament, right? You get to Romans uh, five that in Adam, all die that Adam has passed on his uh, sinful nature. His sin nature has been passed on to all people. So all have sinned, right? David said, uh, in Psalm 51, that he, in the womb, he was shaping in iniquity, in sin, in the womb, in his mother's womb. So even in the womb, we, because how could that be? Because he's inherited this sin nature from Adam and it comes from the father. And that's the interesting thing about, I love the small details of, from scripture because Eve sinned first. We know that from the account of Genesis 3. She sinned first, but in Adam all die. And even when you look at the Y chromosome now, today, that's in all males, the Y chromosome, you're, a male's Y chromosome can actually be traced all the way back 6,000 years through history. It's unchanged in many ways. And so, but, so I think we see this idea of begetting means the spirit, the thin nature is passed on. So now you get to Genesis 6. You have fallen angels fathering the Nephilim. So they are half fallen angel, half human. So they have Adam's sin nature plus the sin nature of a fallen angel in one body. So this is a hyper-depraved, super evil person. And this goes back to the idea of man's thought being evil continually. It's because now they had not just the spirit of Adam in them, they had the spirit of a fallen angel. Of a, and I believe that was even more accelerated evil. So you had on one hand, the Nephilim and their fallen dead fathers taking all the women, right? They're seeing women. They're, it says they took wives of which all they chose. And so they're genetically overpopulating the world with Nephilim, right? And so to the point that God says he regrets actually even making humanity. But there's also the spiritual aspect of it where literally the spirit of man is being utterly corrupted by this accelerated evil of the fallen angels. And so, you know, it it really, you know, the clock was ticking, you know, that, I mean, if you think about the fact that it was just eight people on the ark and that no one was trying to come on with Noah, right? No one was interested. No one said, hey, Noah, let me on. You know, he, was, he says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he was building the ark and preaching and nobody was listening. And so you'd see that the whole world was overrun genetically and spiritually by the incursion of the fallen angels and the Nephilim who are just overrunning the earth. And even then, and even then when you look at, again, the, 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 the description of the Nephilim, we talked about the Gibberean, the mighty men, but it says the men of renown. Mm. And I believe it's telling us that when you look in the ancient mythologies of all different cultures, whether it's Greece, Rome, um, certainly um, Asian cultures, Latin American cultures, you have all these accounts of the gods coming down from heaven, 
marrying women, yeah. having hybrid offspring, the demigods, right? This The Bible's telling us this is when all this happened. Mm -hmm. These were the beings that all these ancient cultures were talking about. You know, there's that show now on um, Netflix, Ancient Apocalypse, mm -hmm. where, you know, I, it was, I think it's Graham Hitchcock, where he's going to all these ancient megaliths in Peru, in Turkey, and he's all over the world. And, and uh, you know, I'm watching this show with my daughter, who's 10 years old. Wow. And every time they get into what the ancient people who lived in that culture said, it's the same story over and over again. And to the point that my daughter, they keep saying it was gods who came to earth. They, you know, had technology, they had advanced knowledge, they married women, they had a hybrid officer, and they taught them to build these things. And, you got to, and my daughter says to me, who's in fifth grade, she says, Daddy, why don't they just read Judgment of the Nephilim? It's <laughs> <laughs> all coming out of the Bible. And I said, exactly. No. I said, exactly. So um, so yeah, so 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 it was, it was these these beings were what was taking place was literally putting us on on the brink where there was literally just Noah and his three sons, I believe, were the last people purely human left on earth. Yeah. And and do you think, well, I've read this before, obviously, I think in uh, um, in the book of Enoch, how they exchanged, right? They exchanged knowledge or they, they um, were, gosh, what's the, what's the wording? I want to say they exchanged knowledge, right? And so that's why. Yeah, it, was, it was a transaction, right? I mean, if you think about the, it, a again, transaction, ancient culture, it's like a, a good dowry, right? You know, exactly. you, you can go to, even now, you know, some parts they can go yes. to Ghana. You still got to give the dad a goat when yes. you propose. Yes. When you propose and want to marry his daughter. Yeah. So, right, it was a dowry. Right? There's an exchange, right? And so, yeah. And I, so, yes, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think the scripture even reveals that. And so, this is what, I, you know, this is, this is the chapter I call the first family of the Nephilim. And I believe that's revealed in Genesis chapter four. And of course, Genesis four gives us the lineage. Um, of Cain, right? The the right. wicked son of Adam, the first murderer who's mm -hmm. banished from Eden altogether after he kills Abel. And we see his lineage. And in the seventh generation from Adam through Cain, we see Lamech. And again, this is not Lamech who's Noah's dad. This is a totally different Lamech. And he is an, a wicked man. And, and scripture, we get, we get numerous verses describe him. He was, it says he had two wives. And it's interestingly, it says he took to him two wives, Ada and Zillah. So just like the Genesis 6 angels, he took his wives and he was a polygamist. So he was the first person to break God's marital covenant. One man, one woman, right. eternally cleaved forever. And um, what you see here in terms of this transaction is, I talk about these special references in scripture where the Bible in a lineage, in a genealogy will give two, four, six verses to describing one person. And I believe the reason why that's happening is because the Bible, God is screaming to us. There's something important happened in yeah. this generation. Slow down and pay attention to what I'm talking about here. And when you get to Lamech, we see that he was one again. He was a polygamist. He had two wives. He murdered someone and boasted about it. He said he killed a man. And said, and then mocked God. He said, you know, if Cain will be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So he's mocking the protection that God and God gave Cain grace after he killed his brother. 
And but then you get to the description of his sons. And that's where really we see this divine transaction take place because there's three sons, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain, and they all had extensive knowledge. It says Jabal was the father of tent making and animal husbandry. Jubal was the father of music. I mean, the Bible identifies he invented instruments. Yeah. And Tubal-Cain was the father of metallurgy, of blacksmithing, making tools, swords with metal. And it's just this technological explosion. And I believe what happened was this was the family that received knowledge from the sons of God, the Manachah Elohim, the fallen angels, in exchange for a woman's hand in marriage. And who was that woman? I believe the Bible tells us because it says, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And I believe Nama, the sister of Tubal-Cain, the daughter of Lamech, was the first bride of a fallen angel and mother of a Nephilim giant. And it's amazing because this is the first time you see in the Bible where not just one son is described in a generation, three sons, and this is the first daughter mentioned in the Bible period, much less by name. And in fact, what I, what I show is that if you look at the biblical history, you have about 1,656 years between Garden of Eden and the flood. There are only four women mentioned by name, Eve and the three women in this little passage in Genesis chapter four. So again, if that's not God telling us this is important, these women are, there's something very important happening in ancient history here. And I believe this is where we see this transaction. They received all this knowledge in exchange for Nama, who, by the way, the name Nama, of course, in Hebrew means beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. And since the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, they looked good. Yes. Right. This is that I'm breaking it down from King James English. Yes. They were attractive. And so, and that's what her name means. I believe the reason why scripture mentions her is because she was that woman um, who was the first to be offered to the fallen angels in exchange for divine knowledge. What do you think these hybrid creatures looked like? I mean, it, <laughs> obviously yeah, sure. they were big in stature um you know i mean their bones that that's one of the things that i'm i'm uh looking forward to talking to la about because he's been on that <laughs> on that uh hunt for such a long yes. time right going <laughs> yes. all over the place hunting for those bones and uh the smithsonian people don't have i mean they have it but they don't want to say it <laughs> oh, sure. yeah 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 um yeah, so I think they were, yeah, I think they were supernatural in size, right? And, um, you know, God doesn't tell us too much before the flood, right? He says they were giants, right? That alone should tell us. Giant, it means a supernaturally, superhuman sized being. And they're like, you know, I, I played a lot of sports growing up. And so, I, you know, I'm six feet tall. And I always tell people, like, you know, people will see me and think I'm tall, but I played basketball for many years and, and played with my older brothers, three years older than me. So I was very used to being around people who are six, five, six, six, seven feet tall wow. and who you don't see all the time. And a lot of times people see uh, someone who's six foot eight and think this person is enormous. You know, when you see someone that size, if you're not used to being around people that height, they appear extremely big. And so then, you know, you just go to Goliath's description where it says he was six cubits in a span that puts him at you know, nine feet tall. I mean, these are, you know, frightening beings. And, and that's why you see after the flow of the descriptions, think about 
a couple of examples, Goliath, right? It says the entire army was scared of one person, right? Goliath came out alone. Yes, he, he said, did. send someone to fight me. Send somebody. I just want to fight one person and, and take him out. Yep. And then no one in the army would even think of going near this guy, mm -hmm. right? The sons of Anak, right? Uh, Numbers 13, right? You see the, the 12 spies that go sent to the spot the land of Canaan and 10 spies come back and they're scared. And they say there we saw the sons of Anak, Ahiman, Seshai, Talmai. And so they were giants and said, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. You know, they're, they're telling, they're, you know, uh, they are that scared. And remember, the, the thing about that account in particular with the 12 spies was this is just about two weeks after the Exodus. So the Israelites just saw God do everything supernatural before their eyes. They saw the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. God had just destroyed the mightiest army on earth, right? The mightiest empire. The ancient Egyptian empire at that time was the mightiest empire on earth. And they saw God in a moment destroy them. So they're, they're not, they weren't new to the supernatural. And yet just two weeks later, they saw three Nephilim, because that's the other reference to Nephilim we see in scripture in Numbers 13, 33. They said, there we saw the giants, ha, Nephilim. And they say, God can't beat them. Three people, right? Because they weren't people, right? They were hybrids. And so again, and they said, we were like grasshoppers to them. And then you even have in Amos chapter two, God's recounting the defeat of Og of Bashan and Sihon, the Amorite kings who lived east of the promised land, east of the Jordan River. And God says in Amos 2 that their height was like the height of the cedars, you know, and the Lebanese cedar reaches 90 to 100 feet. So I believe they were in certainly the days of Noah that they were extremely supernaturally in size. We get other little details too after the flood. We see some of the giants in the promised land who have six fingers and six toes. So these were some frightening looking yeah. beings. Yeah. 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 Not to mention the uh the supernatural powers that they had to have had and Oh, absolutely. I think they were completely supernatural in strength, but also they probably had occult powers too, right? I mean, yes. they are they're half fallen angel. They have the spirit of a fallen angel in them. So I believe they can totally tap into, you know, um demonic supernatural evil power, right? right. Yeah, I, I believe that that's where we get a lot of these megaliths and pyramids and Stonehenges and, and things like that all over the world. Well, oh, definitely. And then and then when you think about it, too, so much of these ancient megaliths were focused on what? On tapping into the heavens, right? It's like the Tower of Babel, right? You yeah. see that there's a connection between the fallen angelic realm and this idea of building things that so you can build a monument you can build a structure to access the spiritual realm right and so and 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 that's why i think and that's why i think they were doing at the tower of babel they were trying to bring back the sons of god go back to the days of Noah, go back to that age where the fallen angels were on earth to get through the veil right they're trying to pierce the veil that's separating the human realm from the spirit realm. And so, so much of the occult today is built on that. And so I think these ancient structures were all trying to do that exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all about that portal. Exactly. To... It, it, exactly. And uh, can anybody say uh, CERN? 
Yeah. I remember that episode oh, you had on Blurry uh, Creatures. That uh, episode that you had on CERN was really a good episode. I Thank you. People to take a listen to that because that was very, very good. Um, Thank you. It was, it was maybe about a year ago. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. When they were when they were firing it up again, right? So I don't want to say. Yeah. I think it was like in June. I yeah. think it was like June fourth or something. It was around June that, when that was happening. And the thing about that episode that I wanted to really show was, you know, everything I quoted about the Hadron Collider was from the CERN website. So yeah. they're the ones talking about reaching other dimensions and opening portals from their own. I wanted to show that this is not just conspiracy theory. Yeah. I'm just taking their words of what they say they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, again, when I say we're living in exciting times, it's exciting both ways, right? Christ is returning, but the enemy is also preparing to return. And ultimately, when you think about it, we know the biggest thing we see, again, we look about Jesus saying, as it was in the days of Noah, the veil was open. There was no, you know, you, the, the, the angelic realm, the human realm had collided and already the efforts being made to open it up already and bring these beings back. And so, and, and that's, what's going to happen. I mean, the antichrist, the spirit that will indwell the antichrist is going to come from the abyss out of the spiritual prison, out of the spirit realm yeah. and enter into the human realm. So, and rule this earth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you read the book of revelation, it's, uh, it's very detailed and it shows yeah, a lot exactly. of things. And, uh, who was I? Who I think I was hearing Derek Gilbert the other day talk about um, the army that um, the Book of Revelation describes, and th that that army has got to be spiritual, supernatural in in content. I mean, the way that it describes it, I you know, I, I don't I don't think a human army can can cap that out you know when you when you read the book of revelation to be honest i mean and you you're one of the scholars that i look to for uh revelation because you're always uh going into that and uh so is derek with unraveling revelation but yeah that army is absolutely uh, a fallen yeah. angelic army right i mean 100%. and i mean and uh even the means you know by which they kill a third of the human population right i mean yeah. they're killing billions of people yeah and so i know a lot of people well, a lot of uh in times teaching say that oh you know this is like china because it's 200 right. million <clears throat> but no it's not the bible isn't talking about human beings right it's describing and fallen angelic beings and what i look to as well is that even you know i talk about a lot in the final nephilim this idea of the scroll of time that events repeat that god is using yeah. ancient events to foreshadow Bible prophecy, even when you look at that army and it says how they are, you know, uh, it was given unto them to kill men, you know, for a year, a month, a day, and an hour. You know, I explain how that time corresponds to the days of Lot, right? Because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, but then he said, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. So both of those ancient events are you know, almost a, you know, a Rosetta Stone or typology portion of, of end times, right? And even the way they kill, it says that with the smoke and the horses that they ride have fire and brimstone and smoke that kills humanity, a third of humanity, right? Yeah. How were Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed by fire and brimstone, right? So even, so there's a lot of parallels um, in that, that God is showing us so we can understand that this, 
that fire and brimstone that killed Sodom and Gomorrah, that didn't that wasn't launched from a, a cannon. No, it came directly from heaven, yes. right? It was a divine judgment. And so this end times army is also a divine judgment, just but just from hell. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, one final question for you. Sure. Kind of like doing a little bit of shift of gears here. Okay. Um, in in the final Nephilim, you go into how tech billionaires and scientists seek immortality through technology. Why is this important? I mean, technology is good, isn't it? <laughs> Great question. Great question. Yeah. Technology is good. It's a tool, right? A tool can be used for good or for evil, right? And so that's what we're seeing. And so it's, again, it's just to me, it's important because what it's showing the church is this is another sign that we are approaching the end times and the importance of prophecy that we see that there are now the richest people in the world billionaires who you know the, the um owners of google of facebook larry ellison who started oracle they're investing millions hundreds of millions of dollars because what's left for them they're seeking to live forever they have it all from a material standpoint right. now they want to conquer death and I just showed, I mentioned the Orlando Prophecy Summit, you know, I showed a clip of a tech billionaire who said that uh, presently, right now, his foundation with the, with the biotechnology that they have, he's planning on living to be 180 years old, right now, at present. And so, and so, why does that matter? Because this goes to the ultimate deception, the deception of the Antichrist, because I believe what's going to happen in the end times is what's going to win the Antichrist, what's going to win the world over for the Antichrist? I think we find that in Revelation 13, verse 4, where it says that he, the beast, receives a deadly wound and is healed. He suffers a mortal wound. He dies and is brought back to life through satanic power. He comes back to life. And in that verse, that's when the world says, who is like unto the beast? Who can make war with him? That's this guy's invincible. He's invincible. No one is like him. He's God. He's the Messiah. And that's the ultimate deception that's going to say, okay, he's going to have supernatural power, literal supernatural power. But when he comes back from death, that's when they're going to say he's God. The world, the unbelieving world is going to say he's God. And he's going to be deceived. And I think what that's going to lead to is the deception of the mark of the beast. Because it as we know the mark of the beast controls the economics it is the one world economy in the end times you can't buy or sell without it but i believe it also has a genetic component mm -hmm. and i believe what the antichrist is going to offer the world is to say take my mark and you will live forever you'll you can be like me you can have immortality right and so um and when you think about it, everything the Antichrist is doing is mirroring. He is a satanic mimicry of Jesus, right? We have to be in Christ to be saved. We have to take on the blood of Christ, saves us from sin, washes our sin away. The Antichrist is going to say, if, you're, if he's in you, if you take his mark and you're in him, that's his offer, right? And I think it's literally taking on his genetics, right? And so this is where we see, again, the days of Noah mingling the seed. This is what Daniel 2, 43 talks about. They shall mingle themselves in this, with the seed of men in this final kingdom. And I believe it's going to be done primarily through the mark. 
And all this is going to do is a repeat of the days of Noah. Why is the devil going to do this? Why is the Antichrist going to do this? Because he wants to corrupt humanity again. That by taking on the mark, you're taking on the genetics of a Nephilim, the final Nephilim. And once again, just like the days of Noah, it's going to corrupt human genetics so that you can no longer be redeemed and no longer be saved. And we see this confirmed in Revelation 14, where it's, God sends an angel around the world traveling the world, speaking directly to humanity in the open. You can see this angel with your own eyes. And it's telling people, do not take this mark. If you take the mark, there's no redemption. There's no forgiveness. You will suffer eternal torment. And think about that. Why? Why would that be the case? God forgives us for from all sins. Jesus died for all sins, past, present, and future. So why is this one thing so bad that God says there's no forgiveness for it. It's because you're no longer human. You're no longer bearing his image and therefore the human savior because Jesus is fully man and fully God. Simultaneously, you cannot be redeemed by him. So what we're seeing now in this whole push is preparing the world for this offer, but it's the wrong offer. When the right offer has been there all along for thousands of years, right. the seed of the woman, Yeshua, our savior. Wow. I have to just soak that in for a while because you explained that so well, but so well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Praise the yeah. Lord. Because, because that's how, that's how um, you can answer someone that'll say, how can, how can you be doomed by receiving a mark? That's and how, exactly that's right. how. And so, and so we see, and if you even go back to the garden of Eden, right? What it tells to the Eve, you surely shall not die. God yeah. said, if you eat this, you'll die. And the devil said, no, you won't. And this is what we're seeing now. And I even showed uh, how one of these organizations that, you know, again, they're being funded with millions upon millions of dollars that's seeking life extension technology. It's actually called the Methuselah Foundation. <laughs> so, again, they're going to buy. There's, there's a spiritual war to all that's what's taking place, right? That's not a coincidence, right? That It's called the Methuselah Foundation. So, Right. So um, who is Noah's grandpa, by the way? So again, it goes back to it all goes back to the days of Noah. So funny. Right? You know, the enemy knows the word, doesn't he? He knows the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much again for uh, joining us tonight. My goodness, I could I could sit here with you and talk for hours, uh, but I know oh, well. It's getting late and uh, yes, yes. But uh, but we've covered quite a bit. We've got much, much more to cover. So I'm sure that next time we can tackle some other topics that uh, are just as good. Uh, but tell the audience where they can find you. I know we've talked about your books and uh, just exactly where they can go. What's the best way to get the books, actually? Sure, definitely. Well, first of all, uh, Pastor Beth, thank you so much for having me on. This is another amazing discussion. You know, I just thank God for your passion for his word and for, again, your willingness to go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this has been great. And so to find me, uh, my website is judgmentofthenephilim.com. So it's just the title of my book. Dot com and there you can find everything all my content the books the study guides i also have two documentaries that i produce that are both based on the books and those are actually the high level the study guides are for when you want to get really deep but if you want to just enjoy the book in a night you can put the documentaries and get your popcorn ready and enjoy yeah uh, they're also available on demand on vimeo digitally and uh, my facebook 
Instagram and my YouTube channel are all just judgment of the Nephilim, one word. And uh, my Twitter is J-O-T-N underscore book. So, okay. uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me, ask me questions. They may end up on my show. And um, I, I love, uh, you know, talking about the Bible with people. So uh, definitely, if you have any questions or curious about anything, please feel free to give me a shout out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you all for joining us uh, this evening. Be sure to send this message to your friends and your family. We are Word of Faith Global Ministries located in Miami Springs, Florida. And uh, be sure to connect with us as well. And until next time, Brian, thank you once again. And uh, we'll be back again soon, I am sure. Right? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless everybody. Take care. Good night.